come and uh, he'll tell you a little bit about it. He leaned up to me on Sunday and, and he told me something. And I just looked back. I said, well, I think God is speaking. And I want him to come and he is going to preach to us uh, this uh, tonight. And I want him to preach the word of God as God has imparted it unto him. And uh, I want us to receive the word. How many of you are ready to receive the word in Jesus' name? Brother Harold, would you come? Praise the Lord. The Lord is good. Amen. I am so thankful to be in the house and to be able to worship him uh, in spirit and truth. I think that is uh, something that a whole lot of churches can't say. We worship him with spirit and truth. We, um, uh, Sister Julie mentioned about heritage. I am so thankful of the heritage that I have, uh, being raised in church. Now, my mom and dad were not uh, involved. For some reason, that generation, that particular part of the family did not want to have anything to do with God. Now, there was a point where they both came to the God and was seeking him, but uh, my, my immediate parents did not really attend church. I was uh, a bus kid. Uh, my uncle, uh, who actually was my great uncle, my grandmother's brother, was the pastor of the church, and he made sure that I got to church uh, regularly. But I was excited... Uh, last week when Jonathan or I guess it was the week before last where Jonathan gave his message it was his first real message to uh, a church as a sermon and uh, I t sent out an email afterwards or a text message or whatever they call him on Facebook and, and Instagram and all those other things saying how proud I was of him but Jonathan is in our family he's the sixth generation of preachers and uh, now it that's not hereditary. That is not something that you, hey, my dad did it, so I get to do it. it. It doesn't work that way. Matter of fact, if you look in the Old Testament, any example of the priesthood, the kids usually mess things up pretty bad after they took over after their dads. Okay, so this, this isn't a thing of, hey, you get to do this because your dad did. You get to do this because it's a calling from God. And I take that very seriously. You know, I... Uh, I've, I've pastored before, I've, I've traveled as an evangelist for about 18, 19 years doing children's ministries, and, uh, but I love to preach the Word of God. I, I, I feel that, that there is a need for us to hear the Word of God, amen, but we, we need to hear it in a message that says a clear and resounding sound about Jesus Christ and the cross, amen. Now listen, it's been a long time since I've been up here. It has been, okay? And I need you to stay with me and preach with me, okay? Don't, don't sit down, okay? I, I need your help, okay? You know, it, uh, it's kind of like a musician that doesn't play his instrument for a while. They, uh, they get rusty, and so I need to warm up a little bit getting warm here, okay? So anyway, plus I need to be able to see uh, my notes, so uh, you have to deal with these glasses. But uh, I'm, thankful. I'm thankful for the, all that God's doing and someone asked me today about uh, how long I've had my minister's license. And I was kind of embarrassed when I thought about it because it's showing my age. And uh, I was talking to Julie and Audrey before service today, and I said, I've, I've had a, a minister's license with the UPC longer than a lot of the people in our church have been alive. And that's pretty, that's pretty scary because I really don't feel like I'm that old. I mean, I... 
I mean, it just seems like it was just a few weeks ago that I was waiting for that board to tell me I was approved or not, you know. But this will be my 35th year with the United Pentecostal Church, and I'm thankful for that. But I take this seriously. I take the ministry of God's word seriously. I, I, I read about preaching, and I read about preachers, and I'm fascinated about their lives and what drives them to do what they did and what they accomplished. And there is a story, and, it, and it, 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 it touched me more so because of where the situation happened. D.L. Moody was the pastor of one of the largest churches in Chicago, and he was known for his evangelistic style, and he always made a point that he brought out in every service that the cross had to be preached, that Jesus Christ had to be lifted up in the midst of that, uh, that message, or he failed as a preacher. And I think that's an important thing, that we need to be able to make sure that when we are sharing our faith with somebody, that we make sure that they understand that there was a death, a burial, and a resurrection. That was done for that. That, that was for us. But D.L. Moody was in the process of delivering a sermon on October 8, 1871. And as he preached and he began to, do, to expound upon the word of God, he was preaching from the book of Matthew, and he, and, and he was in chapter 27 and verse 22. And he came to the, this point of his message, and he said, What shall we do with this Christ? And he stopped, and he said to the congregation, he says, I'm going to stop there, and I want you to take this home, and I want you to think about it during the course of this week and come back next week and we'll find out what you do with Christ. And his choir director began to sing a song and the song was the words, Today the Savior calls for refuge fly, the storm of justice falls and death is nigh. And just as he got to that verse in the song, fire uh, trucks, well, there weren't trucks then, there was strong horse and wagons, were blowing horns because the great Chicago fire began to burn in Chicago. During that night, most of the city was ablaze, and when it was all said and done, over 300 people died in that fire, and over 100,000 people were displaced. They had no home, they had no place to go. And D.L. Moody regretted for the rest of his life that on that particular sermon, he did not tell people how to get to the cross, how to make that step towards him. And he thought to himself, because he knew he, he never got to see a lot of those people in that congregation again because they died in that fire. So it's a serious thing when we deliver the word of God. It's a serious thing when somebody says, I have a calling. I want to go further with this. Now, I, I was excited. I really thought a lot more of the young people would be here tonight after, youth con after our youth uh, rally. They're downstairs helping out. And forgive my Chicago accent with the word youth. What do you mean, youth? They ain't youths in here. They're, they're, they're. So I got into the habit once I moved to St. Louis that I said young people all the time. But the cross needs to be preached. And, and, and we live in a society right now that is so torn apart and so wicked in the way that they think that the perversion goes to a level that we, it, it, it's actually confusing. How many recognizes that the world looks now at the good as being evil? And evil is good. The villains are the heroes, and the good guys are the bad guys. 
I walked into Walmart last week. I ran in to get some water for the preacher that I was helping at headquarters. And when I walked in, I was dressed as I go to every day to work. I was in a suit and tie. Hey, brother uh, Buford, I didn't wear a tie tonight because I got harassed last week. So I'm following with the lemmings going over the side of the cliff, okay? But uh, I walked in there in a suit and tie. And when I walked in, the lady, the greeter says, well, hello there. You must be a lawyer. And I said, no, I'm a minister. And she had this absolute look of disappointment. And she said, well, you look like a lawyer. And I was like, man, that hurt a little bit. And I don't know if she needed legal advice in the moment and just thought she was going to get some free offer. But she, she had that response to me. And, it, and it's just something that in this world, this generation that we live in, there's no thought of absolute truth. There's no thought of where, where things should be in the right scheme of things. No one can say something that they believe is truth. And folks, when it really comes down to it, you don't need a majority vote for truth. Truth is truth regardless of who says something. Amen? Can I get an amen? My wife and I went to the symphony, and according to Brother Andy, I go there because I'm so cultured. Uh, and uh, during the intermission, one of the, uh, the lady that was sitting next to me, her husband and I, been, we all began to talk and, uh, you know, about St. Louis and all the offerings and things that we have here. And as we were talking, she she basically uh, asked me, what do I do for a living? And I, and I told her that I, I was a minister. And this opened the door for her to be able to talk freely. She said, you know, I, I need prayer. I need someone to pray for my daughter. And, I, and so I, I turned in and I asked her, well, wh what is the need? And she said, she thinks she's a man. And I said, oh, my. And she said she had the operation. She's already reconstructed her chest, and, and now she's moved in with her love. And I, and I said, well, I'll pray for you. And she said, yeah, she moved in with her boyfriend. And I, I, my response was, her boyfriend? And he said, yes. She thinks that she's a gay man in a woman's body. And that just shows you the twist and perversion that's going on in our world that the reflection of people, they don't really have an understanding of what God made them to be and who they are. A minister recently was asked to address the Kansas Senate, and as he addressed them, he began to pray, and no one was expecting him to actually say a prayer. They thought he was going to go through his the uh, general things that people say during a prayer. And he opened up his prayer, and he said, We have lost our spiritual equilibrium and have reversed our values. God forgive us. We have ridiculed the absolute truth of God's word and have called it pluralism. We have worshipped other gods, and we call it multiculturalism. 
We have endorsed perversion and have called it an alternative lifestyle. We have exploited the poor and have called it the lottery. We have rewarded laziness with welfare. And he went on and on and addressed the cultural and the, the relevant situations in our nation as legislators stood up and walked out on him as he began to make this prayer. He said, we have abused power and have called it politic, uh, politics. We've ne ne neglected to uh, discipline our children and have called it building self-esteem and we've coveted our neighbor's possessions and calling it ambition and this is the state that we live in and I think that as a people that we're more than ever truth has to become more valuable to us truth has to become something that we stand up for we can't take it and just say you're entitled to your opinion because honestly what it comes back to us and the nature and the course of this world is we're told our opinion doesn't count our opinion doesn't matter. I don't know if anybody saw a Facebook post that I was engaged with about a week ago where somebody gave an opinion about something. And I, well, I actually gave an opinion about uh, protecting uh, life, uh, uh, stay away from abortion. And this thing began to escalate into a situation of, of who has rights to say things about so on. Folks, the world is trying to say, and this is the same situation that Rome was in at the time of Christ. It's okay to believe anything you want as long as you don't infringe on what I believe. That's the nature of Rome. And that's the nature of what's happened to our world and our society. It's okay as long as you can believe what you want, but don't infringe upon what I believe and don't try to convince me of what you believe. I'm entitled to think that you're wrong and truth can be what I want it to be. That's twisted. Amen? Our, condition, our, our society is beginning to condition us to believe something other than what God intended. You know, last, uh, last time I preached, I preached a message about what can I do for the master. And, I, and I, I, I did an illustration where my son Jonathan was dressed as Jesus, and he walked amongst the crowd and interact. How many remember that if you were here? And, he, and, and, and we have done that. I have preached that message for almost 18 years. Okay, 18 years ago when I would preach that, there would be not a dry eye in the place. There would be whispers of prayer and sorrow. And then when, when the cross was finally raised up at the end of that message, people would run to the altar to pray. But we have become so desensitized by the bad news on the radio and the bad news on television and the video games and the stuff that's given to us on, on the television and video systems and all the things. That's, it's made us have a desensitized feeling towards that simple thing that happened on the cross. And it's a shame. I don't know. I don't know what it's going to take. It's going to take a... a, a for us to break through other than prayer. Prayer is going to change it. Now, R R Sister Rache posted on uh, Facebook the other day inside uh, uh, Excel's uh, page that, that don't let this momentum die of what happened at this youth revival. Just keep it going. Now, I, I, I'm like a lot of you. I mentioned here that I grew up in church. You know, these, these young people rallies, Okay, say youth rally. These young people rallies are, are are not a new thing. Okay, we had them when I was a kid. Okay, they were the most exciting times of our uh, of of the year. You know, we'd come to church, we'd make the big banner, it'd be like twenty four feet long, hang four feet off the ceiling. We 
took days painting it, letting the paint dry, and, and it, was a, it was always tied to the She's for Christ theme. We were always excited about She's for Christ and what we were going to do, and, and uh, we'd get so excited, and we'd have our revival, and then there was going back to school and that feeling of, i got to go back to school. Or we'd go to camp and have the great services at camp, and it was the time to come home, and it was, we have to go back to the home. There's always a feeling of dread when it was over. But I learned as we got older and older that that fire doesn't have to stop. You know, when God puts a calling on a young person's life or anybody's life, it doesn't matter how, you know, how old you are, God can do anything with you at any age you are. I mean, I, I, when I was 17 years old, I was honored by my pastor. To, he made me the youth pastor of the church at 17. And that's kind of a strange situation when you're 17 and your youth group is 12 to 35 years old. And I've got all these people that are much older than me that are, are part of the youth group and helping out. But it, I, and, I, and I tell that not as a bragging thing. I tell that as a testimony to our young people that let God use you. Don't feel like your age is something that can keep you from accomplishing something for God. The scripture is filled with people, young people that have stepped out in faith and God has used them, David and Esther. And I think a lot of the people in the word of God that we read about, that, that they were youthful and, and, and young when they were out, uh, part of the, the warfare and the mighty men that followed David. I, I think they were young men fighting for what cause of, of their Lord and God. But tonight, I, 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 Brother Buford mentioned that I whispered to him that uh, you won't believe what happened. About five weeks ago, God had gave me a message. I, I was reading about those mighty men in Scripture, those young people, and, and the great accomplishments they did. And so one, one night during that time period, I was asked to open the service. And I opened the service by reading a Scripture other than the one I really wanted to read because I wanted to save that scripture for tonight because I felt that that's the message that God had, me, had given me. So I read from the scripture and talked about Shama defending his lentils and focused on the fact that every time one of those men had a victory in their life, they gave credit to God. They didn't stand back and pat themselves on the back and say, look what I did, look what I accomplished. They got up and they gave victory to God. And everywhere in Scripture where this happens, it says, and God brought a great victory. I mean, he's read that. But while I was studying that book of Samuel, I came across Benaniah in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. And I spent Four weeks preparing a message about Benaniah going into a pit with a lion on a snowy day, excited about preaching it, and Brother Price gets up Sunday morning, he puts the Chronicles version of the Samuel story up, and I'm reading it, and I'm thinking, there is no absolute way that he's going to preach that message. And I looked at it, and I thought, well, maybe he's going to concentrate on the Moabites, okay? Maybe that's what he's going to preach on. Or maybe he's going to preach on the Egyptian that he slayed, you know? Maybe he's going to skip the whole lion part, and I'm not totally out of tune with God after all, okay? And so he begins to preach, and as he's delivering this message, he starts talking about 
the lion, the pit with a lion on a snowy day. And I'm thinking, well, there goes that. I'm going to have to come up with a whole other message between the next three days. And as I prayed and I prayed, and I said, God, there has to be more. Now, folks, everything I said before this was not the message. This is the message, okay? As I, as I looked at that scripture and I continued to go back after hearing Brother uh, Price preach, I realized something, that we have to be on more of a defensive than ever before. I said all that about standing up for truth for a reason. Benaiah, when he was there and he was, he was in the middle of that situation, I don't believe that he was uh, that just for a, a, an impulse attacked the lion in a pit on a snowy day. I believe that lion imposed some sort of threat that existed for some time and he just did what he had to do with the, uh, the, the Moabites and the Egyptians. He had to go do it. He had to take care of the situation. Now, now, Brother Price, he, he did an excellent job, and there's no way I'm going to be able to top that message. I'm not even going to try, but I see a different side of it, another insight to something that, that, that needs to be brought out. The devil is sneaky. Everybody turn to their neighbor and say, the devil is sneaky. You know, lions are mentioned all throughout classic and ancient history. I mean, they're, they're, they're always used as a symbol of power. There's always some sort of reference to them as being uh, uh, of a, a courageous spirit, of a, uh, a powerful uh, presence. And when you look at this and you read it, you begin to understand and that this is a metaphor for strength. Now... The same metaphor of a lion is used in reference to God, right? And we have the reference of a lion is a metaphor related to Satan. Now, that doesn't mean all the metaphors that you use about the negative side of a lion get swatched over to the negative side in reference to God. Amen? Everybody following what I'm saying there? Okay, I, I think I lost some of you, okay? It'd be like saying, man, I can't even think of a good example right now. I'll come back to that. It, 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 it'd be like saying, okay, uh, man, it was on the tip of my tongue. I'll come back to it later. Let's go back to the scripture. But I thought about what are the odds? What are the odds that two preachers get direction from God to preach the same message within the same week's period of time? And it began to make me think about who God is and how he reacts and does things in our life. Often when things happen to our in our situations in our life, he's confirming things to us he's showing us things also in our lives as we experience things as we go through trials and situations those things don't happen to us just for circumstance now the bible tells us it rains on the just and the unjust amen when i walk outside and it's raining just because i'm a christian those water doesn't stop pouring on me okay does it do it to anybody else here does anybody else when you walk outside my, my ashley says it did it rains on us all Okay, but but we recognize that when situations happen in our life, we are people of uh, that serve God, and a lot of those things are, are learning experiences, taking us to a place where He wants us to be. Now, in this situation with with Benaiah, it mentions that he fought these two Moabites, and Brother Price went into the exp explanation of that. It might have actually meant that those men had uh, a, 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 a battalion with them, and he defeated a whole battalion. And that's cool. But it's still kind of cool that one guy beat two people, right? And it mentions the lion. 
and but it also mentions this giant Egyptian. And in the Chronicles version of the story, it gives us an idea how tall he was, and he was seven and a half feet tall. There's something in the scripture about lions and giants and bears. They're there. And in David's case, the king, King David, David fought a giant, right? But he had practiced before he ever got to that giant. David fought a lion and he fought a bear. The Bible says that he, he even told the king, king Saul that he had did that and he gave honor to God for that victory. Amen? Do you ever think that in the, in the times that David was sitting on the side of that hill watching those sheep, watching those lambs, that David actually sat there and prayed and asked God to protect those sheep and lambs? I do. I mean, my, my dog, I loved my dog, Porthos. At times I hated him, but there's a, most of the times I loved him, okay? Uh, he got sick, and I prayed for my dog. I mean, I, I didn't want my, my, my Porthos to suffer. And so I don't, I don't doubt that David sat on the side of that hill. He, he was nurturing him, and he was taking care of him. It was their livelihood. I don't have a doubt that he prayed, God, keep the bears away. God, keep the lions away. And I don't have a doubt that there was times, I mean, he may have killed the one, bear and the one lion it's recorded but I don't have a doubt that there was times that sitting on that hillside watching those sheep that he had sheeps, sheep that he had to pull out that uh, sling and fire a warning shot at a bear or a lion and he could have sat on the side of that hill and said God doesn't hear my prayers God's not even listening to me the bear is still attacking the lion is still attacking how many sometimes wonder is God listening to me at all is he hearing my prayers I pray the same thing over and over he doesn't answer why is that why is God doing me that way David he is he's doing it you have to think about this brother Mark I believe David in all those attempts with those that lion and that bear was he was getting practice for a giant This, this seven and a half foot tall Egyptian giant that Benaiah faced, he faced the lion first, but according to scripture, but when he faced that giant, I don't think he was afraid because that lion was probably in proportion to the same height as that giant. The things that we go through gets us prepared for things to come. So when we experience a, 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 a pit with a lion in it on a snowy day, it's something to be thankful for, knowing that we're getting prepared for something great. A lion in a pit on a snowy day. Can you imagine this? Okay. I, I, I promised myself I wasn't going to get physical with this because I always hurt myself in some way. Um, he's doing whatever he's doing. Okay. He may have been watching sheep. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say it. It just says there was a snowy day. It was a snowy day and there was a pit. And the lion ended up being in a pit. He could have been watching sheep and the lion was stalking him. The lion might have actually been stalking Benaiah. We don't know. It's just in something happened in that moment where Benaiah noticed a lion. Okay? And when this situation happened, 
in my imagination, I see Benaiah realizing there's a lion. Has anybody ever startled an animal suddenly? What do they normally do? Huh? They, they bolt a little bit. They, they, they run back, even if it's a, if a Doberman. If you go like that towards a, an animal, they more, most of the time they, they jump back a little bit. And I think this lion got on the defensive. And Benaiah saw an opportunity, and he turned towards it, and the lion lost his footing and fell into a pit in a snowy day. Now, somebody had to see this because it would be, you know, I could tell you right now I got attacked by a lion. And I can, I'm telling the truth, Brother Pete, Peter. I got attacked by a lion. It's a fact. I was at the zoo with Jonathan and Jeremy. I was standing in that area with the big fat glass about that thick watching the lions in the lion cage and I was talking to my kids and I looked down for a second put that back up there looked down for a second and looked back up and the lion jumped up on the side of that glass and pounced at me and scared the life out of me okay now he didn't get me but I got attacked by a lion okay I did. All right. So Benaiah, somebody had to see this to give it credibility. That's where I'm getting at. Okay. So here you got Benaiah. Okay. All right. Somebody sees Benaiah. He's there. He's doing whatever. The Bible doesn't even, know if, doesn't even tell us if he had a knife or a sword or anything with him. We don't know. I'm just going to assume he wasn't dumb to attack a lion without something in his hands. Okay. And all of a sudden, this guy's watching Benaiah standing in this field, doing whatever he's doing, and he sees this lion and this lion, he sees this lion fall into this pit. And then he sees Benaiah suddenly just go and jump in. Wouldn't you think if that's insane? All right, now hang on for a second, okay? And so here you hear, you hear maybe uh, the sound of a roar. And maybe you hear the side, maybe a battle cry. Now, I think most likely Benaiah's battle cry was similar to what David did. Because this, this lion was, was a predator and perhaps was destroying the Israelites' uh, livelihood. And so maybe when he attacked this lion, he called it on the name of the Lord when he did it. But all you hear is you hear the sounds of a battle and then there's silence. And probably that person that was seeing the story begins to back up a little bit because the expectation is the lion is going to jump out of the pit at any time. Right? A lion, these things are 500 pounds in some cases. They've got the ability to run 35 miles an hour and they can jump 20 feet in the air at a dead stop. We don't know how long, how deep the pit was. And he was just, he's in there. Most likely he landed on his feet because he's a cat. But Benaiah jumps in. And maybe this guy starts backing up thinking, eh, he was a nice guy. Yeah, but I'm not staying around to see that lion come out of there. But all of a sudden, a hand reaches over the edge of that ledge, covered in blood, and a man begins to pull himself up out of it. And maybe he's got scratches on his chest and his face for where this lion slashed at him. But he got up out of there, and he was victorious. 
And he had a story to tell. Amen? And that story was something that got added to his resume that made it that David made him the, the guard of his, of his bodyguards. He became the, the, the person that ran the bodyguards for the king. Now, now David, David was a lion killer himself. That's a strong thing to have on a resume, saying that I did that. And here at Benaiah, I did it. But do you ever think that, have you ever done something that when, when you were done with it, you go, wait, what was I thinking? Anybody ever do that? What was I thinking? Okay, Audrey does it all the time. What was I thinking? You know, by the way, I need to tell everybody, Audrey is actually my daughter. Uh... She don't hang around with me at all. Nobody recognizes that. I was talking to the pastor one day, and I said, you know, my, my, my daughter, and he goes, what? I said, Audrey. He goes, man, I forget she's related to you. Anyway, so she has nothing to do with us. Anyway, uh, no, she's a good girl. Don't take me. I'm just play teasing. But now I've lost my whole train of thought. Oh, no, what do we do? You know, you ever just, what, what, what was I thinking? I had a situation, I know I told this story here before. I had a situation where I was in this store that I owned, and I thought this guy was stealing from me, okay? And I noticed that when I walked up to him, he kind of he turned and, and walked a different way. And so I noticed that as I, as, when I came close, he was doing that. And so I figured out the pattern that he was doing. And so I started maneuvering in a way that I was making him go towards the back door. And he was swearing and cussing in front of my kids, and it, and it was driving me crazy. I, I have this store that's family-friendly, and uh, my, my, my little boys are in there, and this guy's just going on and on and on. And I, I lost it. And I, I, I'm not a violent person, but that day I became a football player. And I got into a position, and I, 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 I put my shoulders down, and I just ran at that guy and knocked him outside the store. I don't know what I was thinking. After I was done, I was like, what was I thinking? And I think Benaiah might have felt that way. What was I thinking when I did that to that lion? But here's, here's something I, I, I you know, I'm, I want to concentrate more on something else about this thing with a lion. Because as I studied this, a lion is not as brave as we put him up to be. The cowardly lion in the Wizard of Oz is probably more an accurate description of a lion than saying it's courageous. Because a lion, a male lion, doesn't do most of the hunting. The female lion does it. He sits back and just protects the pride when there's a necessity. But lions work as a team, and they work in a way that they don't ever get hurt. A lion will stalk the weakest animal out of a herd and work together to separate it from the group. Get it away from them. And they'll chase it. And as they, those lions chase that prey, that zebra or that wildebeest or whatever it is, as they chase it, they, they drain of its energy. It's, it's, it's heavy breathing. It's out of breath. It's hard for it to, to, to keep going. 
the, the, some of them scratch on the back ends of them and, and start blow flowing. But because the adrenaline is kicked up in that animal, the blood doesn't flow as easy. Have you ever hurt your hand or something while you're in the middle of doing something and then you don't find out till afterward that you cut your hand or something? It's because in the moment your adrenaline was, was pumped up so high you didn't feel the pain. And that's what happens in this situation. These animals are running for their life, but what, are, what these lions are trying to do is they're trying to exhaust them. And what happens is when they finally are starting to slow down, this lion, the lead lion, gets in a position. And he, he, he gets in front of that animal. And Brother, Brother Price mentioned this thing about eye contact. But what a lion doesn't do, a lion doesn't slash at the throat. A lion doesn't cut with his teeth. A lion doesn't take his paws and, and, and rip out their, their organs. A lion will tuck its arms in a way that the other animals won't crush and break their, bo their bones. He lies in a way that he tries to protect himself while the other animals are pulling him down. What a lion does is he takes his mouth and he covers the snout of the other animal and he makes it impossible for that beast to breathe. And as he's holding it with that jaw clasped upon him, he's making it that that animal suffocates. And while that animal suffocates, He's in, a, he's in a position that he can't get hurt by the thrashing. Because those lions don't ever get in the middle of the herd. Those lions don't get in the middle of, of, of the crowd as they're running because they don't want to get hurt. They stay in the outskirts watching for the weak one. And I think that's interesting that it suffocates because that's what the devil does to us when he gets into our heads about discouragement, hurt, and pain. He takes our attention off of the victories that God has done. He takes our attentions off the good things that God has done. And he makes us have these self-doubts and these self-feelings that we become so introverted in our thoughts that we don't really put life and the things of God in perspective. That's how the devil works. He chokes out the breath in us. But what the devil means for bad, God means for good. I don't know if Beniah was, was uh, aware of how a lion killed or not. I looked up on, on the, the box that tells us everything, the internet. Show me a lion attacking a man. Because I thought a man doesn't look like a, a man doesn't look like a zebra, a man doesn't look like a wildebeest. What does he do? And there was three videos of a lion attacking a man. And guess what he did? right across the face trying to suffocate him just like he would anybody else the devil is a coward and he waits for you to get in that weak state and he tries to suffocate you with the things that drag you down and young people that are here I see it mixed in the crowd now you need to recognize you need to stay close together when you see one wandering off you need to do something to get him back into the group this culture that I talked about that's out in this world that says there's no absolute truth and there's no absolute way of feeling is, that is secular humanism at the finest. Secular humanism puts different values on different people because of different things. Okay? And so as a body of Christ, and especially a body of Christ of believers that believe in the oneness of God, and when Jesus Christ said to his church, I will pray that you be as one as I am with the Father, 
we should recognize how the body of Christ needs to be unified as one and recognize that we can't have, when we see somebody weak, we don't just let them wander off. Now, now, now a zebra doesn't have the mentality to go and protect Okay, a parent, a parent zebra might run out and try to, to, to save a, 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 an infant, but the crowd doesn't follow. Okay, are you following me? We're not dumb animals. God gave us intelligence to protect one another. This is not, this is a, 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 a church body to be unified and to give glory to God. And when we see somebody weak and stumbling, it's not to, we shouldn't think that they should be alienated in any way. And I'm not saying anybody alienates them, but we got to be careful of some of the stuff that we do. In the old days, we called some of these things cliques. And, and, and you, you might say, well, they're not in my social group or they're not in my group thing. But you got to realize the lion is just out there waiting for somebody to be left alone so he can devour them. Brother Harold, you've really gotten off quite a bit here over where you're going, but it's true. And that devil is trying to drag us down and trying to pull us out. But what we learn is in these situations where we're experiencing these, these hardships and these heartaches, that nothing happens in our life that doesn't prepare us for something else that God is going to do. Amen? I recognize the time. I'll close with this. When I, uh, I found myself in a situation a few years ago where I, uh, you guys better be glad I didn't go by my notes because they were 27 pages long. Uh, I found myself kind of in a, in, a, in a situation outside of what my, was my fault. I, 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 I didn't do anything wrong, and my world crumbled around me. And when it was all said and done, I felt about this tall. I felt about this much value in my life. I didn't feel I was worthy of anything. I had just lost a job that I absolutely loved, and then I lost a member of my family, and my family tore apart, and my finances crushed, and I had nothing. My house was in foreclosure. My kids, we didn't know what we were going to do, and I was destitute. I searched and searched for a job. I couldn't find work. I, I, everywhere I applied, I was told I was overqualified. I wanted too much money. And I went for almost three years with almost zero income. And in the middle of it, Jonathan was, began working for a company. And, and I might have told this story to some of you before, but I, I want to share this with you to give people some hope. In the midst of this situation, no, no job, no money, I... Uh, Self-value and self-worth was so little. When a man loses his job, he loses a part of him. It seems like you get something sliced off of him. Okay? And Jonathan begins working for this company, taking care of individuals with, uh, with disabilities. And he says, Dad, you ought to apply at one of these companies. And, or apply here, and they'll give you a job. I never wanted to do that. My goodness, I, I, went, to, I went to work every day for 12 years dressed in a suit and tie. I was an executive. I wanted another executive job. I didn't, want to, I didn't want to be in a house taking care of somebody. That was my mentality. But when you need money and you need food, you've got to do something. And so I went to work. And uh, I am a sympathy puker. You throw up near me, I'm going to throw up too. That's just how it goes, okay? 
Honestly, if you start crying in front of me, there's a good chance I'm going to start crying. I'm just soft-hearted that way, okay? That's just how I am, okay? But I guarantee you the puke thing's going to happen if you do it in front of me, okay? And uh, I'm put in a situation that I'm not comfortable with. And it wasn't like being in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. But it was outside of my comfort level. And uh, Jonathan told me all these things that, you know, you, they, they go and you take them shopping and you play games with them and you can read and it's really enjoyable. And so I thought, man, this would be a good thing. Now, he had a, he had a, a client that took some care to do this. But what I ended up being put in the house with, the person I ended up being put in the house with, was nothing like what Jonathan described to me. And I don't tell this story because a lot of the people in here, uh, there's a good amount of you that work for us now. So uh, I, I scare a lot of employees away with this horror story, okay? But um, this guy was violent. When I would go to work, I didn't know if he was going to tear my shirt off or bite me or punch me or what was going to happen. I mean, it was, it was a severe situation. And we had gotten to the place where we were beginning to recognize the patterns of things he did. We, we, we recognized our predator and how he responded to things. And one particular day, early in the morning, he came out and he was ready to attack. He had had a night terror and he was upset. And we all decided that we were going to just go ahead and go in and get him to a place that he was safe and not worry about him attacking us. And so we had this routine that we do. And that morning, the routine failed. And this guy knocked me against the window, pinned my hands behind me like this, and was trying to bite me on my juggler. My adrenaline spiked. I didn't know what to do. I thought, oh, you know, I can't hit him. It's against the rules. I wanted to. But I couldn't do that because, you know, I didn't want, I didn't want to bite my neck. And so... The, the guys are trying to get him off me, and finally they get him off me and put him in a place where he's safe. And the rules of this, this organization is whoever he attacks is the person that's got to try to calm him down. So for the next hour, I'm sitting in a doorway with a 23-year-old naked man spitting at me, saying, everything's going to be okay. It's all going to be all right. Well, my heart rate has not gone down in 20 minutes. And in this field, if there's a possibility you can have a stroke or a heart attack from that. So now I'm worried about me. Am I going to have a heart attack? Am I going to have a stroke? What's going to happen with me? And then I'm sitting there thinking, my God, what in the world did I do to deserve this? I went to work every day in a suit and tie, and I'm sitting here now with a pair of baggy pants on and a T-shirt covered in puke. What did I do? And as I sat there and, I, and I, 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 I was frustrated with the situation and I was talking to God. I'm one of those guys that's really honest with God, okay? Not the guy that Jonathan talked about two weeks ago that calls God a jerk. I don't do that. I think God's a big guy and he can handle what I say to him, okay? God, I'm upset. I don't understand this. And as I'm beginning to calm down, I posed the question to, to, Jonathan was actually in a room with this guy and this other, the other staff. I said, do you guys ever wonder why God allows this to happen? Why people are born with disabilities? Why we have to, basically the question is, why do we have to face such things? 
I wasn't expecting someone to say, hey, why? I was just being sarcastic with the question. And my son asked why. And in that moment, I thought, I really don't know. And as I sat there and I thought about it, I thought, I think God wants to find out what we'll do. In that day, in that pit, with that, that, that lion, on that snowy day, I realized that I would never work in an executive job again. I accepted that. I would never go back and work at the publishing house again. I accepted that. I would never hold a title that I had before. I accepted that. And I accepted that most likely I would never pastor a church or really minister the way that I had up to that point. And I gave it to God. And I saw within two and a half years that God took that situation and he promoted and promoted and promoted me through those organizations. And three years ago yesterday, Jonathan and I started a company based on that situation that happened. And today, we have 45 employees. We have seven, seven full-time clients and four part-time clients. And I would have never gotten to that point if I hadn't experienced those hardships before. Because now I thank God for every last one of those things that happened. Because you don't know when you're in the pit with the lion on that snowy day, you don't know what it's the real part it's taking you to. You don't know where it's leading. Amen? Let's all stand. Okay, the question. Why does God let these things happen? We have a problem of seeing God as us. We have a problem of seeing God in our own eyes. We don't recognize how awesome he really is. Scripture says that his ways are above our ways. His ways are so high above our ways that is as from where we are into the heavens. And I started thinking about how far is the heavens? On NASA's website, it says the farthest star from Earth is that we can see how far it is. Twelve point three million light years is the furthest one away. When we when we sent Voyager out into space when Voyager was shipped out it had a destination where it was going to stop by all the planets and then it was going to target the nearest star that that Voyager spaceship is still out there traveling and where it's at today and the amount of time it's taken for him to get there which has been almost, I think 40 years now it's only got 13 solar hours away. When you think about it took 40 years for it to be 30 solar light years 
And when the nearest, the furthest star is actually unimaginably far. Voyager is going to take 44,000 years before it gets to the first star. His ways are so much higher above our ways and our way of thinking. But why, if he's so magnificent and he's so high, why would he be concerned with me? The same reason you love your kids. He's our father. He's concerned about you. He cares about your needs and your situations. I heard somebody say, he's got your picture on his refrigerator. It's kind of something to think that God might have a refrigerator. I knew you'd laugh, Brother Harpo. Can you imagine when Benaiah did what he did? I bet he stood back and he said, Gabriel, did you see what my boy did? This is a picture of when he when he fought that lion on a snowy day. He keeps a scrapbook of every last thing that every one of us do. The Bible calls it the book of remembrance. He loves you with all of his heart and he cares for every last one of us. And that's why he looks out for us. And that's why he cares for how you feel. And that's why he cares for the situations you go through. Nothing happens in our life that doesn't prepare us for something great that he's going to be doing in our lives. You've prayed for a long time for something and God's not answered it. Don't take it that the answer is no. Sometimes a father has to say wait. Sometimes a parent says you got to hold on. Midas, there's a story, we all know the story of Midas. He loved gold. Fairy tale says that he, uh, he got a wish and he asked that everything that he touched would turn to gold. He didn't know what he was asking for. He went to get a drink of water. It turned to gold. He picked up an apple to put in his mouth. It turned to gold. He couldn't eat it. Reached out to hug his kids. It turned to gold. He couldn't love his kids. He turned his good. You don't know what you're asking if it's going to be good for you or not. But the Lord knows. He knows the repercussions. He has a different eye view. And I said all that to get to this. He has a different eye view of everything. God doesn't exist just here and now. He exists there also in the past. And he also exists in the future. He knows the outcome of all of it. I think we can trust him, amen? Let's raise our hands and worship him for just a moment. Worship you, Lord Jesus.